This is a podcast about new crops. You're going to love it. Join us on The Cutting Edge, a podcast in search of new crops for Wisconsin. The, the hazelnut industry isn't competitive, it's cooperative. And I think that really helps the entire industry, whether it's in Ontario or Minnesota, Wisconsin, or Oregon or New Jersey, everybody wants the industry to thrive. Welcome to The Cutting Edge, a podcast in search of new crops for Wisconsin. I'm Jason Fishbach, the agriculture agent in Ashland Bayfield County and today's host. And I'm joined by Linda Grimo uh, from Ontario, Canada, who's going to talk to us today about their breeding program and their nursery and their long history working with hazelnuts. Welcome, Linda. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. How's the weather in Ontario these days? It's really up? mild. Yeah. It's nice. We had some massive snow last week, but nothing, nothing like you guys get. Um, and now it's melting. We went 35 below Fahrenheit in our northern reaches. Oh so that's pushing our luck in some of the hazelnut material. So we'll see what happens mm -hmm. in spring. But yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Um, maybe you yeah. could just start talking about um, the nursery and the history of it and the work that you and Ernie have done. You know, I really see you guys as kind of a uh, a bridge in a lot of ways where you've carried forth some of the earlier uh, attempts to improve plant material. And now you've also introduced obviously your new material too. So anyway, yeah, if you could just go into yeah. the, the history and the overall business. Yeah, so um, Ernie started Grimonet Nursery in oh, long ago. He had an interest in testing nuts to see what could be grown in our Ontario climate. And at the time, we lived in Niagara Falls on a little city lot, uh, probably an average city lot, and he had about 100 trees. So he decided he needed some land to continue exploring. And so he purchased the land in Niagara on the lake and was collecting all kinds of um, material from Northern Nut Growers Association members and other people who he had met through his contacts. And he eventually started a pretty neat little collection of everything that people liked. If they said it produced well, he would graft it and grow it. Um, and the same was true with the hazelnuts. So eventually he had this, this great setup with all these different things and he started offering them for sale um, by grafting them for people. Or in, in the case of hazels, I'm not sure when he started layering, but I, I moved back here in 1999 to work with him. And he was still grafting hazels and, and the percentage of takes wasn't high. So we, we kind of abandoned that and started working on just uh, cloning by layering or stool beds. Yeah, and that was much more successful. He used to graft on a Turkish tree hazel to make sure that um, it wouldn't sucker because obviously once a tree starts branching out or suckering, if, you, if you're on a regular um, hazel, it's going to, you'll never know where the graft was and where the, the suckers are. And so um, layering is a good alternative for us. Yeah. And just so folks are clear that are listening, um, Niagara on the Lake is on Lake Ontario, just south or across the lake from Toronto, right? 
Yes, that's right. From on, on a nice clear day, um, we can see the Toronto skyline across the lake. So it's, mm -hmm. it's we are we are protected by that lake. Um, so it gives a moderating effect, which is why we love to test our material with you guys, because our climate can't test for cold hardiness. It can test for Ontario hardiness, but it can't test for true cold hardiness. And that's why sites like yours are so important. Mm -hmm. And looking at the map, it looks like you're roughly at the same latitude as Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's because always... of the lake. Yeah, but because of the lake, we're much milder. Much yeah. milder, right. And it's always yeah. interesting to think that, you know, where you are in Canada, uh, you're farther south than part or all <laughs> of 13 states in the United States. <laughs> that's always... true. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you're working with both the northern adapted I'd call or the winter hardy hazelnuts but also some of the um, European type hazelnuts. you want to just talk just briefly about the, the less hardy material and maybe even go into yeah. the Ontario Hazelnut Association and the work yeah. there with so um, sorry Debra but yeah um, so Ferrero uh, built a plant in um, Brantford Ontario in 2006 I believe and with that plant came a renewed interest in growing hazelnuts for commercial purposes. And because Ferrero, Ferrero, Ferrero makes being Nutella. Nutella, right? Okay. <laughs> That's right. And and they at first they said, okay, well, we they wanted us to grow the nuts that would be the little center nut in a Ferrero Rocher. So if you pull apart a Rocher and you get to the very center, it's a tiny nut. And they like that. And it needs to be a very certain, a specific size and shape to drop in the center and not change the, um, uh, the grams of material going into um, the little circle so, mm -hmm. or the little ball. So they, they thought of Ontario as being a great source for planting these trees and growing them out. But they didn't, at first, they really didn't realize that those European selections are just not suited to Ontario because of, of Eastern filbert blight. Um, so we, through time with their um, research and their investment and their um, dedication to the Ontario Hazelnut Association, a lot of research was done to see which of the selections they were really most interested in, meaning the European ones and the Oregon hazels. And then, of course, they asked um, the University of Guelph also really insisted that Ernie's material and selections from his earliest days of gathering um, cultivars and weighing the crops and all of that to, to get his input on the best Ontario ones that would go into those research plantings. So over the years, they discovered that all of the European ones died off with blight or never produced. They just mm -hmm. aren't hardy. They're not suited to our Ontario climate. However, the ones that Ernie selected really yielded the highest, um, but they aren't the right size and shape for them. Now, to put into that for a Rocher, however, it can be used for the Nutella spread just fine, um, but they were still focusing on that little nut. So they, they looked at Yamhill as being an ideal nut for the kernel market for their, the center of their product. Mm -hmm. um, but over time, 
those Yamhill and Jeff Jefferson especially gets blight really bad here. Blight uh, Jefferson definitely. Yamhill, I've never seen blight on our trees, but they don't yield as heavy even as gamma. Um, and Jefferson, I just consider um, unfortunately you have to do spraying and a lot of maintenance if you're going to plant Jefferson, but it does produce a very nice nut. And so, Yam, does Yamhill have the gas away resistance? Yes. Okay, but Jefferson yes. does not, so, right? Oh, I thought I they right. both did. An interruption here from the editor's desk. Eastern filbert blight is a fungal disease that is endemic to the upper Midwest and is lethal to hazelnut trees. Now, American hazelnut, which grows wild in our region, the upper Midwest, has resistance to eastern filbert blight, but generally European hazelnuts do not. The two cultivars, Jefferson and Yamhill, which are European hazelnuts grown in Oregon, are resistant to one strain of eastern filbert blight via the gasaway gene, or allele of that gene, and it's overcome, that resistance is overcome by the many different ecotypes of eastern filbert blight that are found in the upper Midwest, which is why the resistance is breaking down in Ontario where eastern filbert blight is also uh, endemic. But the Ontario selections that Ernie put in, the um, gene and slate were both based on, their gene of resistance is rush. And that came out of the Cornell or the Ithaca plantings, um, the Finger Lakes area in New York, where uh, a big breeding program was done, oh, 60s and seven, no, maybe even earlier, maybe 50s in New York. So they shut down that breeding program. It didn't amount to a whole lot. They never did make recommendations, um, but Ernie was able to get material from th those um, plantings before it was lost. And so we've managed to maintain um, gene and slate, and they're still some of the top producers, um, especially for the Ontario market, whether it ever becomes a part of the Ferrero. Um, so once blight was found in, in Southern Ontario in Yamhill and Jefferson in a lot of the orchards that um, Ferrero was able to go out and, and look at, um, they, they became very hesitant with the Ontario market realizing that if they can't grow exactly what they want, they may not get the yields they're anticipating. So they've kind of um, put their efforts back into Oregon, or not back into Oregon, they put their efforts into a renewed conversation with Oregon, because they hadn't been buying nuts from them. Maybe because of the price, maybe, be, I don't know, but historically they had not until more, maybe within the last five years buying from Oregon. Um, but Yamhill is what they're buying, from my understanding. Gotcha. So, yeah. So, Gene and I, I just, yeah. Gene and Slate, can you just go a little more detail, uh, the progeny of those? Those, these would be yeah. what you're considering, maybe not winter or northern hardy, hardy or do you think that they could work in Wisconsin, um, Minnesota? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. And I, the reason I say that is because um, when they were tested, we've got a, a farm up in a zone 5B. And there, well, Slate didn't do well in a 6A, the catkins froze. 
Um, and I think that gene would be really pushing it. We've got some gene in a, in a place up in, in a 5B, but I, I don't think they're, um, I, I don't, I just don't, I wouldn't plant them in your area. Gotcha. I would, yeah. I would focus on the ones that really are suited to that colder zone. And then you never have to worry about, did my, did my flowers freeze? Did, well, the flowers never freeze. Females are always hardy. That's my joke. But the, it's the pollen. And if the pollen freezes, and I had um, at this farm up in 5B, they have, uh, I was looking, they do, fortunately, they do the, um, they do the phrenology for me each year and have found that um, they've got Ferris G17 and it freezes, mm. like the pollen just freezes for them. And they, they recognize that. They've learned to start looking at the catkins very closely. And um, yeah, it, in colder, like a, a wicked cold, if those catkins have even opened up slightly, it kills them. Gotcha. So it's, it's not worth it. it. It's just not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's the stuff more adapted to Ontario. So now maybe let's shift to the Northern uh, more hardy material. And um, yeah. we've been trying to teach our growers here in the Midwest a lot about the difference between uh, seedling hazelnuts and clonal hazelnuts and seedlings are grown from a seed. Every plant's going to be genetically different versus clonal material. They're vegetatively propagated. Every plant of, the, of that clone will be the same. So maybe let's start with the seedling material that you're, you're offering through your website yeah. or as a breeder. Yeah. Yeah. So this, the, um, the seedling varieties are, we're taking them from our best sources. Um, so there's, we consider them by source. So the, the Skinner source, for example, would be the Skinner hazel that was, that originates in um, um, Manitoba. And of course, Manitoba being very cold, we, we like that for a nice cold hardy source. However, Skinner did get um, blight, um, but its offspring have not. So at least dermis. Dermis is um, now it could, it could be the same with the others as well that their offspring would get blight, but the parent source in this case got blight. Um, we do like Skinner though because of its hardiness and it's um, it, it's it's a good hard shell. It produces every year, um, and and um, we don't know what dermis was pollinated by. Um, and we don't have the alleles back on that one yet to know, um, to give us an inkling of what the parentage is. We're finding that when the alleles line up, um, that you can see family lines in that. Um, okay. and, and Skinner is a hybrid between European and uh, American hazelnut? Yes, yeah, okay. that's exactly it. And so, yeah. so and then, you guys are selling seedlings from the Skinner uh, mom, essentially. Yes, or dermis. So we okay. use the dermis seed as a Skinner source as well. Um, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. And so then, do you, do you know if those are planted widely, or how you know how widely are those seedlings being planted at this point from Skinner? We've just uh, we've been selling Skinner layers for quite a long time. Someone just contacted us this morning and, and was telling us about his plants 
his his Skinner sourced plants and and they're doing very well in northern Ontario. Okay. Um, then we've got the another northern source we have is the Asian Quebec, and now this Asian Quebec he he was given the uh, he was given a tree that was considered to be heterophylla. But he was always, over the years, he's, he's reconsidered whether or not it's a true hetophyla or not, simply because of the shape of its leaves. And um, it, it seemed that it's not um, typical of the, the hetophyla. However, we were just chatting with Sean Mellenbacher, and Sean sent some pictures back of other pure hetrophyla and said, no, it, it really could be. Don't base, your, don't base that on the leaves. Um, so that that was kind of nice feedback because um, the heterophylla actually has a huge variation in in leaves, so it is possible it's true heterophylla. Um, and heterophylla is from China. Right? Asia, is yes, from, it's it's the it, okay. Chinese um, chestnut and uh, in, in a very cold, hardy regions of China. Chinese um, so, basil. Yes. Mm. Um, okay. he, so Ernie became interested in the parent tree in the 80s um, because it had abundant crops of pea-sized nuts every year that dropped cleanly out of the husk. So of course that's ideal, right? And it dropped in late August. It never had bud mite, blight, and the tree is really dwarfish, dwarfish like uh, Cornuda. Um, and it's, I think, it's, I don't even think it's more than five feet tall. Um, so he started using that as um, he would, he would use that source as the mother tree's nuts without crossing, without controlled crossing, just open pollinated whatever was nearby. And he would plant those out. And he, he planted out 50 seeds in an orchard row and eliminated a lot of them because they did get blight. But um, he was able to choose Aldera, Andrew, Het E, and a new one that he's called Dawn. We also think, so we've added Quebec to the source name. We call it an Asian Quebec source because the original heterophylla came from Quebec, but also because heterophylla is Asian. And secondly, because um, another grower had bought our trees, seedling trees, planted it out and uh, found it to be fantastic. So he brought the entire tree back to my dad. My dad said, just bring me a layer. Now the guy brought him the whole tree. <laughs> and and that's northern blaze so oh um, okay yeah that's northern blaze so it it started out as a seedling here he grew it and then brought it back to us because he found it was such a great tree um, gotcha yeah so then out of those asian quebec sources um like i said there's andrew aldera dawn and and northern blaze that we find to be superior and yes, there's always going to be in the case of seedlings that some get blight. And we tell people, cut them down. Don't play with blight. Don't prune it. Just get rid of it. <laughs> I know it, I know it kind of sucks to have that space in your orchard, but especially in your region where you're doing um, uh, the bush form, just, just get the tree to sucker. Find one, find one of the seedling trees you really like get it to layer and, and fill in those empty spots, but cut out the ones that get blight because you're gonna spend more time and your trees are close because of the way you're gonna harvest them. 
you don't you don't want that contact you you want separation and i think that's the best way is if you've got an orchard full of seedlings cut them down and refill with some of your own best ones or get obviously get layered ones from us yeah so that's that's my take on how to deal with um a seedling orchard is really cull and plant better ones in between so um, um back Back to Northern mm -hmm. Blaze. So it, yep. it was a, a seedling that was grown from that original. Oh, no, Petrophyla. sorry. Yeah, uh, and, it, and he liked it and transplanted the whole tree at Grimo. Is that what I Right. Okay, yes. so then um, yeah. you, you've been able to make layers of that since then. Um, yeah. Right, okay, because so Northern yep. Blaze, now we have a lot of these at the West Madison planting. Mm -hmm. Um, and Northern Blaze, now it's one year, you know, last year was our kind of first nut crop off those plants that were mm. planted in 2018, I guess is when we planted them. And Northern oh, yeah. Blaze by far had the most nuts and oh, the nut, nut quality was just amazing, you know, larger mm -hmm. than any of the seedling stuff that's being grown in the Midwest right now. So it's interesting, yeah. but I'm looking at your website now and I don't see any Northern Blaze for oh. sale. Is that... Oh yeah, everything sold out. If I I'm I may have taken it. Oh yeah, I took that and Marion off by mistake. I can add okay. those back in. That there's still nothing left, but I can add them back in. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So that that's the that's what he had selected. Mr. Blaze had decided that yeah, this was a fantastic tree, and we should we should make clones of it. Oh, so that's where that, the that, the blaze yes. came from it's the guy's name okay we're all wondering yeah they're blaze what is that okay <laughs> that's good to know yeah his name is jacques blaze uh -huh. okay so yeah. you've got the um the skinner origin material the the asian quebec source material and then you've also looks like got a saskatchewan source that you've been working with yep talk yeah about so one? the saskatchewan yeah um the saskatchewan source um uh were they're less hardy trees the, of the Manitoba crosses. So the crosses were made at um, the Morden Experimental Farm in Manitoba, in Manitoba. And he crossed the prairie adapted American hazel with selections from the Geneva, New York breeding project and distributed the offspring across the prairies. Um, the University of Saskatchewan continues with that hazel network. And one of the um, young workers in that program actually attended the last NNGA conference that we had in person. So it was a pleasure to meet him and to to know that there's um, still people behind this project. Yeah. Now with, yeah, and blight resistance seems good with those. The, the mother trees we use ripen in late August. And um, we think they're, because of their heritage, they're, they're suited for or the parentage they're suited for zones 4a and of course nicer do you know what was they they were using from the geneva breeding program for parents were uh, those hybrids themselves too or were they no they never provided him with that information okay just gave him that it was crossed so i'm not sure which material they have got it yeah okay so you're selling seedlings collected from those mother plants are there um selections or layers that you're that have come out of the Saskatchewan? Yeah, so uh, out of the Saskatchewan, yep. So out of those came the earliest selections we made were Marion and Frank, and then Joanne and Julia, um, and then Kiera, 
But yeah, so out of those, now the interesting thing is with these, Frank and Marion produce a nice size, large nut. Um, so did Joanne and Julia, but Joanne, no, Julia, we found after selecting it and naming it, we started to see blight. So it had grown here for 20 years without a, a drop of light. And, and then of course it did. So we don't, and I think it gets it up for you guys too. Okay. Um, uh, Joanne is, um, Joanne's a good tree. Uh, we like Kira a little bit better. It's a newer one, but Marion and Frank, we still really like, and Marion is grown up in, um, in our 5B field or not or our, our friend property up there. And he, he loves Marion. He's like, get me 650 of them. They, they are early ripening, early producing. He likes everything about them. Um, yeah, so that's, that, that's in our West Madison trial here that, that we also have Marion. <clears throat> it didn't produce quite the same volume of nuts as Northern Blaze, but the, um, it was number two from, you know, again, our first year of data, but uh, the nut yeah. quality there too is just amazing. Um, really large and, uh, you know, pretty round kernels, easy to crack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then um, Frank is another one. Um, it right now, we only know that it has one allele. However, we've We've been able to work with Sean to see, um, and we'll know in the next week or so um, if there is another allele in the pollen that is not quite known yet. Uh, we're so, you know, we're so very fortunate to work with you guys and Sean and Tom, um, Sean Mellenbacher and Tom Muller, because the the hazelnut industry isn't competitive; it's cooperative. And I think that really helps the entire industry, whether it's in Ontario or Minnesota, Wisconsin, or Oregon or New Jersey, everybody wants the industry to thrive. And it's that collaboration is so important and we're, and we're really grateful for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have enough challenges yeah. with hazelnuts as it is to, we don't need to be competitive, right? It just makes it harder for everybody. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, so um, yeah. on your website, there's all kinds of sold out uh, written yes. there. So what are you <laughs> recommending? Are you, you know, in the Apple industry, it's not uncommon to, for people to place orders for two or even three years before they actually get the material. So, so how yeah. are you handling the demand here? And because we know the population yeah. is slow. It is slow. Um, we do have a number of labs. We have three labs that we're working with and another nurseryman that has had success with cuttings. So um, we've, we're working with four partners to try and get these things out faster and, and it's slow. You know, one contamination in a tissue culture lab and, and they lose everything um, and they start from scratch. So it's, it's, that part's been frustrating for us and we, we wish we could produce trees faster, um, but we do use a wait list. So as soon as people email me and expressed in, express interest in growing hazels, I put them on the wait list. They can change their mind. I'm not binding them to anything, but it also allows me to know what the, how, I, you know, when I tell the people to produce trees from it, give me, give me a few thousand, you know, what <laughs> I'll take whatever they can produce, but it's nice to know that um, I, I 
if, if I actually got the 2000 of everything that I'd have buyers for them. So okay. um, there'll be a point where the, the supply meets the demand. But for now, we ask people to send us an email. I'll put you on the wait list. You can change your mind. Um, I don't bind anyone to it. But I, I, if, you know, if I ended up with a thousand Alderas, I'll get those out to as many people on the wait list as possible. And then year after year, we fill in the rest of the orchard. Usually I, I start with at least two. And I do like if people are going to grow layers, I really like them to have at least four. I don't want less than four. I think that with an industry like this, we really need to make sure that we're optimizing pollen and for pollination. So we have to make sure that they're getting um, a good variety of cultivars with varying timing of pollen shed, making sure that those alleles all work together and that the crosses in their orchard will work. So it's, it's important that when they set the pre-order, sometimes people will order and say, I want these very specific ones. And if, it's, if they're in, in supply enough, then that's not a problem. But sometimes I'll get someone say, okay, I saw Dawn on your website and I'd like that. Well, I don't even have Dawn for my research sites yet. So it's, it's, we're letting people know what it's about, but we just don't even have production yet. So sometimes in that case, I'll say, well, you know, maybe by the time that your order comes up, Dawn will be available, but if not, then I'll offer you something different in its place. But yeah, it's for the northern hazels. We're looking at an eighteen-month to two-year wait. Okay, good to know. Yeah. So, if they yeah. can, they find your email address through your website, or do you, we can they put can. it in our show There's notes. A, or yeah, put it in the show notes. It's nut.trees at ramonut.com. If they go to the website, it's it's a clickable button, and that gets to us too. But um, otherwise, yeah, either way, they'll reach us. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay. So also looking on the website, you've got some American mm -hmm. hazelnuts from Wisconsin source. Yeah. You talk about those. Yeah. yeah. So the Wisconsin source. Um, yeah. So they're, they came from Badger set um, okay. quite a long time ago. And mm -hmm. uh, so I believe his were crossed with European at the time and Ernie got seedlings of those. And um, there, we haven't made any selections of those seedlings yet, but we do know that they're quite hardy. So people who gotcha. are planting them in cold, hardy places are reporting back that, yeah, they're, they're doing well there. And that's primarily what folks are growing in the Midwest now, plants that came from Badger said and seedling mm -hmm. populations. And in some cases they've made selections. And in fact, that's what our program mm -hmm. did is work with the on-farm plantings of uh, these badger sets and, and I think our top 10 are all originated either from badger set or from plantings that came from badger set so definitely oh, northern right. northern hardy the nut size is yeah. not, not amazing but it's um the plants are hardy that's for sure. yeah and and I think that's probably why we haven't made any selections if for the Ontario market if the nuts aren't large enough um they won't they won't sell even Ferrero needs a very specific size nut and um that that keeps people away from the the smaller ones 
that even though they taste fantastic, they're just not going to have a market here. Mm -hmm. I think if they made oils or um, uh, the oils are fantastic that you guys have. When I was at your conference the last time, it, it, the, the oils were phenomenal. Yeah. Like they're just beautiful. And I yeah. think that once that gets into the marketplace, the people won't worry so much about the size or shape of these nuts when they can have something so beautifully pressed out of it. Yeah, right. Yeah, it is an amazing color up that comes out of those hazelnut mm -hmm. snow oils. It's amazing. Huh. Yeah. Um, so you talked a little bit about that growers should plant at least four different of uh, the varieties of the layers. So yeah. if I'm a be beginning grower, just starting out, what's your recommendation uh, for working with you and getting plant material in terms of, you know, how big should they go? Or do you feel confident enough that people could plant 10 or 20 acres? Should they start out smaller? I mean, obviously plants are limited, but, you know, going forward. If, if, in terms of yeah, if plant supply wasn't an issue, I think I'd still tell a new farmer to start with three acres. I think that especially people that haven't necessarily farmed a tree crop before, we're finding in Ontario, the learning curve is very, is very difficult for new farmers. Um, maybe they don't even have a tractor. So, you know, if I have a, a, a peach grower that switches over to put in a, a nut crop, a tree crop, that, that's easy. They know exactly what to do. They've managed trees before. They know how to manage weed control. They, they've got everything in place, all the skills. But I'm finding that a lot of times new hazel farmers here are just completely new at farming. They love the idea, they love the tree farm, but it's just new to them. So I think three acres is a really good starting point. They, they learn how to plant them, how to manage weed control, how to start um, monitoring for pests and scouting. It just gives them, and then each year add more on whether it's one acre, two acres. I have one guy that has pre-orders in my pre-order list for three acres every year for four years. So mm -hmm. his, his goal is to continue to add and make sure that each time his year is ready that I've got the supply available for him. But that, that allows him to learn steadily as he grows. And when his first little three acre, not little, because three acres is quite a bit, um, but when the first three acres are, are starting to mature, by the time his 12 acres are in full production, he's learned a lot along the way, and he's had a year to figure it out ahead of time. So as his first year crop starts to get into production, oh, okay, I can get some wizards, I can go pick those up by hand, I can pick them off the tree, kind of figure things out. By the time six acres are in production, then and nine acres by nine acres in that time period they're probably going to need a machine to harvest but it gives them the time and this the the ability to know year after year it's only going to get heavier your harvest your yield is going to get higher you have to but by inching into it it helps i do think that 10 acres is a nice amount of land to have with trees however I think too that with the um, northern plants, they are smaller. You can put more per acre and get excellent yields on less land. So I think that's a factor too. Maybe you don't need to start with three acres. Maybe two is good. Um, getting your feet wet because you you 
when the first time I remember someone calling me, they had, they had, oh, I don't know, 10 acres of trees. We hadn't supplied them. It was a trial planting with um, local growers and they had, they had trees from other nurseries. And she said, I don't even know how to do this. How do I plant them? Do I just dig a hole? What do I do? You know, the, the learning curve is so, so incredible that, yeah, starting for her with 10 acres was way too much. Um, looking back, she says she wished she'd started with three or five acres. But so when I say in your area, look at the, you know, how many trees per acre can you plant in a day? Can you plant in a weekend? What is manageable? What is, what is feasible to manage? Maybe they work a full-time job and they're going to be weekend warriors and weekend farmers. And that's okay too. You just have to make sure that you go into it slowly so that you're ready for each step as it comes. And I think that will, if someone jumps in and puts in 10 acres and they've never farmed trees before, it's overwhelming. And I think that's, un, that's unfair to them because it, it, can, it can be frustrating. It can be confusing. It can, they can have losses that they might not have had if they started with three acres. Um, I just think it's better to pace it and do it right. Even if your second year, you jump in and say, you know what? I loved my three acres. I'm going to put in seven now. No problem. It, you know, again, if tree supply wasn't an issue, no problem. It's just that staggered start, I think is really helpful to people. Yeah, that's great advice. Great advice, especially hazelnuts, because especially when we see this a lot when harvesting, when the nuts start producing, oh boy, what have I gotten myself into? How do I do this? Because it's not just like, <laughs> going out and picking blueberries there's a lot going on in terms of post-harvest processing and drying and yeah. if you're selling kernel you gotta crack them out and all that stuff yeah um yeah. you mentioned plant spacing do you have yep. recommendations for that are different for each of the varieties you're selling like will dermis have a different spacing than northern blaze or what do you recommend yeah well dermis is a dermis becomes a bigger tree than northern blaze um, so a lot of the Saskatchewan trees and even the Saskatchewan source, source and the Asian Quebec source, the ones that we've selected range in size, I'd say from six to 10 feet. Um, dermis is bigger. So if you're going to do a row of dermis, I, I would space that out a little bit wider. So maybe even 18 by 18 or 18 by or 16 feet down the rows, whereas maybe with the Kiera or the other trees, you might only need um, 10 feet okay. because they're just never going to crowd. Um, I, I, yeah, um, so there is a little bit of spacing differences between them, um, but that's okay. And it, it, it doesn't matter if when you look down a row, the dermis row were spread more than the other ones. It, aesthetically, it might, you might think, oh, this looks lopsided or something. But in the big picture, when these trees are all grown, it's not going to make a difference. Gotcha. So the because um, they'll fill in. Yeah. So we're faced with this very question right now at the West Madison planting. Um, all of these selections we got from you, we have not pruned at all. We've just let them grow free, mm -hmm. and now they're Good. you know they're six feet tall, and some of them are three four feet wide, and they all have different kind of growth forms. So what are you yeah. recommending in terms of pruning down to a couple of stems, one stem, just let them go. What do we do? So in Ontario, yeah, in Ontario, we tell people to start getting them to a single stem right away. 
um, just make that the 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 growth pattern. But I think in your area, the bush type works very well because they are being machine harvested. Well, whether they're being machine harvested on the ground or machine harvested from the tree, I still think it's best to um, keep the, the leaves cleaned off in the lower part of the trunk. If you're going to harvest um, off the ground, then having the leaves and the branching kind of away from the low from the ground helps you to see what you're picking up and helps the machinery to get under the trees. I still think that it's best to at least always manage your plant to have three to four leaders or main stems. Yeah, not leaders, but main stems, because it I, I think in your area the 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 idea of a single stem isn't going to fly. But I, I think that when you go to a full bush and you end up with so many branches, you're, you're, you're creating a problem for the tree to produce. The more energy it's putting into its suckers and its growth at the ground, the less energy it's going to put into its, its performance and crop yield. So if you can manage that to three or four stems, I would say five at the very most. Um, I like three or four. If one branch gets hit, boom, or if raccoons or something attack the tree, it's only a part of it. It's not the whole tree. I, I like the idea of three to four branching because of wildlife and because of, uh, I, I think it's just a, a sensible way to go. But I do think it's important to minimize the number of suckers that are allowed to be growing. It definitely will delay um, production and yielding. Yeah, we're going to have to get out there and do a little pruning in the spring. But yeah. timing's a. So, would you say if we're taking it down to three or four, you know, we're, it's just the first year production? Are we too late, you think? Or is this maybe the first time you would go in there and do the pruning? You know, three or four years after planting? or? Yeah, three or four years after planting is just fine. Okay. Um, it's, it's when you get into maybe 10 years later that you're going to have, hold on, let me just, there, you're going to have, um, more difficulty in managing that. It's going to be a, it's a, it's going to be a bigger effort and the tree has put so much energy into those branching all along that now you're cutting out branches or limbs that have catkins and flowers on them. If you can keep those in mind, even at a young age, I'd say three years is a good time to go out and start clip, clip, clip. No, I like these. These are going in the right direction. You, you want as much light penetration as possible in that canopy. So um, even if you're looking at our um, American Hazel F1 hybrid seedling, you can see that it's really a compact bush. Well, it's only gonna produce on the outer edge. It's not, and it's a small bush, but it's only gonna produce where the light can reach it. And mm -hmm. so it's really important to keep that, um, the suckers and the number of stems under control for the, for the, for the yield, for the energy use and, and for light penetration. So maybe yeah. let's shift gears a little bit. Um, you know, our, our growers are, eh, they've got the American Hazelnut Company, but there's no association of growers yet. Mm. There, there used to be what was called the Minnesota Hazelnut Foundation, but most of those growers have kind of since retired or moved on. 
Um, how are the growers organized in Ontario? Is it in the Ontario Hazelnut Growers Association? Is it is it um, still active? Is it what is, what is it doing? Or if you could just talk more yeah. about how the, kind of how the growing yeah. side of the industry is developing. Yeah. So in when when Ferrero first expressed an interest in hazelnuts in Ontario, um, that was the second time that there had been a, an interest in hazels in Ontario. And the first time was when the tobacco growers here were told, you know what, we're not gonna be growing tobacco, find another crop. So they moved into some different tree nut crops. And, um, but when, in, you know, when that kind of, that phase passed, it was uh, kind of let go as well. Um, but the Hazelnut Association kind of got that renewed boost from Ferrero's interest and there was, uh, mostly professors and um, my dad and, and Doug Campbell and a few other interested people in, in the industry that kind of started um, having discussions every six months and, and formulating some plans. And eventually that turned into a steering committee for an association which founded the Ontario Hazelnut Association. We were very lucky. We had um, some funding from um, like the government for starting up agricultural associations for new crops or something. Mm -hmm. So it was, I think you can tie a lot of things into innovation and that might've been how our association got its initial funding to get started. Um, and when was that? When were they, did it form? Uh, so it was formed in, 2010 i would say and maybe maybe um hmm. i can't we're on our 10th symposium so yeah maybe around 2010 it was um um incorporated as a a, a farm um association yeah um yeah and during that time we've the Hazel Association has worked um, to uh, provide information to growers, to uh, encourage people to have a, a, an annual symposium, where just like you guys do, except I like yours because it's over a couple days. And that networking that takes place overnight is really, you know, when people sit and visit, that that's really important and growers need that. Um, but it's usually a one day meeting and um, throws in the research, the findings, um, can, uh, the, the Ontario government people talk about the pests and different agronomy issues. And it's kind of a whirlwind of information and, um, but they do that each year. This year, it'll be virtual. All right, so maybe let me put you on the spot here in terms of, so you had talked about four uh, varieties. Um, mm -hmm. If you're talking to a grower from Wisconsin, uh, which four? I would say Dawn because it pollinates early. And um, okay, Dawn's alleles are 15 and 27. So I would put Marion out there because the alleles are 14 and 25. And Northern Blaze, the alleles are 8 and, eight and 11. And then then I'd have to have one other. So those three would definitely cross pollinate without any issues. Um, I might put Nathan in there if it was, if I had enough in supply or Dermis 
or or actually or Andrew and Aldera. So that fourth one I would say could be anything that's mm -hmm. reliable and hardy. But gotcha. um, yeah, knowing the alleles really helps us, and also knowing when they when they drop. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't. It'd be interesting to know when they drop there for you. I know that Northern Blaze is late here, and so is Aldera, but maybe they aren't for you. Yeah, you know, I have to look back at the notes, but we picked them directly off the shrub. And okay. uh, so the, the husks were still relatively green, but the, the nuts were loose in the husks still. And it, if I remember, it was in September sometime. Um, yeah. But I have to look back at the notes to see uh, just when it, when it was. But Okay. And so that, would be, that would be another thing I'd consider too, is I would want to know when everything's harvesting, if they're going to machine harvest off the tree, then they need to have everything ripening at the same time. So for me, I would look okay. at that too. Yep. So if you can, if you can send us at some point the ripening times, then that would be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Can do. Yeah. Yep. Good. Awesome. So we'll send all whatever 200 people at our conference to you to, to buy Don, Mary, and Northern Blaze and one more. That sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I wish yeah. I could be there. It, your your group is fantastic, and I'm really excited with everything that you guys do. Well, yeah. thanks so much for being on on the call. And sorry about the uh, mix up here. Uh, <laughs> hey, it was not I'm a sure. pretty day. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, it doesn't matter to me. I'm just happy to talk to you, and it's it's. I know that the. The people only hear our voices, but it's it's wonderful to see you um, and to connect in this way. Fantastic. Yeah, for sure. All right. Say hi to everyone for me. I will, no doubt. All right. Okay. Take care. See you. Yep. Bye. Bye. Brought to you by the University of Wisconsin-Madison Division of Extension.